Hello and welcome to episode 62 of Owen the Saints, your podcast dedicated to Southampton Football Club. It feels like a while since we've done a pod and to be honest, after watching that shite, I kind of wish we weren't right now, but let's get to it. It's Monday evening, gyms are back, shops are back, even pub gardens are back and you know what else is back, Jack? What's that? Absolutely abysmal Southampton Football Club performances. How are you doing? <laughs> Not bad, thanks, mate. That was pretty, pretty shy, as you said, wasn't it? It really was. Nine, uh, ten points, sorry, from a possible 45 after a dreadful, and that may be underselling it slightly. 3-0 defeat to West Brom at the Hawthorns. I thought Leicester looked pretty shambolic in their game at West Ham at the weekend, but Brendan Rodgers and co will be licking their lips at a prospect of facing us on Monday's evidence. Their whole squad could go on a five-day bender at Iosi Perez's house and still turn up on Sunday and sort us aside, I think. <laughs> it was truly embarrassing. Big Sam doing Big Sam, Big Sam doing Big Sam things, obviously, at West Brom, and they are giving it a go. They obviously stuck five past Chelsea the other week, um, and they're, they're really trying to avoid relegation, but they're still 19th in the table. There is no way we should be going there and getting turned over like we did on Monday night. Jack, in that first half, I was just texting you the word shambles over and over again. It actually was farcical. Let's start with your thoughts on the overall performance. How many synonyms for the word tragic have you got? (laughs) Good question. Horrendous, dire, calamitous, disastrous, dreadful, mate. I could go on and on and on about that, about that game. It was, I mean, just before the game, you were looking at it and you were thinking that it had all the makings of one team with everything to fight for and the other team with not much to go for in the league. And you were kind of fearful that West Brom were going to turn us over. But when the team news came out, you saw Southampton, we've gone full strength. You go player for player in our team. We're a much better team than that West Brom team tonight. And I was confident. I was thinking that we could, you know, maybe get an early goal and really, you know, put our dominance on the game. But it was... Like you said, it was shambolic and West Brom fully deserved the win. 3-0 flattered us. It could have been 4-5-6. It was really that bad. And we had a bit of dominance in the second half, but that was always going to happen when West Brom sat in deep. It was, like you said, we've had some real sharp performances this season, but that was definitely up there against a really what a poor West Brom team. It was. I was... There was some talk before the game about whether we would rest players, obviously, with the FA Cup semi-final next weekend. But as five days break, I was happy to see Ralph go pretty much full strength. Obviously, Redmond keeping his place. He'd been in good form. Theo Walcott in there. There'd been some talk in the week prior to, to Monday's game that he's in line for a permanent deal. So we've gone, we've gone as much full strength as we can go. And that first half, we were so wide open. Midfield was wide open. Up front, we didn't have a kick. And they were just creating chance after chance after chance. And it really looked like only a matter of time before they were going to score. We'll talk about the VAR um, incident first up. Let's just get it out of the way because they did score and it got, fortunately for us, ruled out for offside. What did you make of that? Well, like in keeping with Samson's performance, absolutely shambolic. I think I was, well, the commentator said that was Kevin Friend on VAR, that he decided that there was insufficient evidence to overturn the on pitch decision and honestly don't understand that there was clear clear evidence that Vestergaard's foot was behind um this West Brom striker so I have no idea how that you know went against West Brom but 
didn't make a difference in the, in the in the result, did it? In the grand scheme of things, it didn't. I was fully expecting the goal to be given when I saw that first replay, and you could see Vestergaard's foot um, kind of half a yard back from their striker. But for whatever reason, continues a string of bizarre VAR decisions that we've seen recently. Obviously, there was a Scott McTominay one against Spurs when that goal got ruled out. And for me, that should never have been given as a foul in a million years. Um, VAR obviously decided that was a clear and obvious error. And then we've had close offside calls in the Liverpool game and the Wolves game where it's a millimetre or less involved. And you think, well, this VAR is not scientific enough to make those decisions. It's it's not, it's subjective on when the ball has been kicked. They can't freeze it to the exact frame when the ball has left that person's boot. So we're making decisions based on millimetres. And it's just, I mean, the sooner they... They either need to dramatically rethink VAR or they need to get rid of it altogether because it's just beyond fast court at the moment. And again, at the Hawthorns, we saw it. I mean, it fully looked like he should have been given as a goal. And now it seems like every time you think a decision should go one way, VAR makes it go the other way. Um, <laughs> just That's just where we are at the moment with it. It is. I mean, you can you can bash VAR as a, as a concept, but it's the way that's being applied at the end of the day. Kevin Friend is making that decision VAR is there to give that goal. They, yeah. the, the linesman gave it offside and it was a, such a close decision. I'm not surprised he gave it offside because I think it may have been Carl Bartley at the back post that was offside. Um, and VAR is there, perfect example just to give it from the goal. Anyway, we got lucky there, but the writing was on the wall um, in terms of our first half performance. They're always going to create more chances. Um, and yeah, like you said, we were getting opened up. I'd just like to start actually before we go on to the defence. Like you said, we didn't look very threatening at all. We've obviously got options at the moment, don't we? We've got we've got Stuart Armstrong, who seems to have that right-hand side sewed up. He's our best player on that right-hand side. But then we've got Minamino, we've got Gineppo, we've got Redmond, and we've got Walcott that can play on that left-hand side. I know you said you were quite happy with the team selection, but surely there's a case of starting Takumi Minamino, who's cup-tied, can't play on Sunday against Leicester. We've got him on loan. A very good player that, if he does continue to play at Southampton and score a few goals I'm sure he'd want to stay at us next season if the finances were there and we could do it I just don't see any benefit of leaving him on the bench tonight I think Theo Walcott like you said there's there's been a lot of rumours of making that loan deal permanent um, I'm not convinced I'm not sure if the Saints fans listening to this at the moment are 100% convinced that that's a signing that's going to really progress Southampton into you know what we're trying to aspire to be which would be breaking into the top half of the table Theo Walcott will be turning 33 next season we've seen glimpses of him we've seen a few assists here and there but overall he hasn't done enough this season to warrant a contract I hope we don't give him a two or three year deal No I mean he's been a surprising plus as far as I'm concerned this season I didn't expect him to have the impact especially early on in the season that he's that he had but then he's picked up injuries and he hasn't looked as good as he did in the early stage of the season recently so for this talk to to kind of pop up about giving him a permanent deal as you said he's he's going to be 33 next season he's on big money he's played at Arsenal he's played at Everton they put him on big wages He'd have to be taking a drastic pay cut for it to make any kind of financial sense for a club like us, where we're kind of pinching pennies anyway. There was talk recently about the fact that we're not going to be making any signings or unlikely to be making any signings over £10 million. Now, I'm I'm not really going to get too upset about that. That's kind of realistic, I think. I would have expected, I would have been surprised 
if we go out and spend 20, 30 million pounds on a player, that's just not what we do. So the fact that Ralph came out and said that didn't really, didn't really shock me and it's to be expected really, but it doesn't make sense in my book to sign Walcott unless it makes, unless he's taking a massive pay cut. And I don't think he will do that. Um, I'd be mm. surprised. Maybe he will. Um, he's talked, he's talked up about how much he's loved being at Saints and being back at his first club. So maybe he would be willing to do that. But to go back to the point on Minamino, another one who, again, started his Saints career um, on loan very brightly and has kind of faded a little bit. I would have liked to have seen him today, as you mentioned, cup tied at the weekend, so I won't be involved. The only thing I'd say is Redmond has been playing really, really well. So I was happy to see him keep his place. Now in the game, like pretty much the whole 11, he was dreadful. Uh, I don't think anyone had a good game. Um, I mean... You think I'd maybe right? say a bit harsh. I'd maybe say it's a bit harsh on Redmond. I think, I mean, everyone, if you're going to give him a score of one to 10, I don't think anyone's making it above a four. Yeah, but I was going I think, to say, it's still a four or five out of 10, if that, I mean, it but, wasn't good. But what I'm saying in terms of the overall performance, I think there are a lot more players to pick out and single out um, yeah. worst performance on the pitch tonight. I think Redmond did show a little bit of drive and he was trying and trying to create chances. There were some players out there tonight that looked like they couldn't be asked. Yeah, and we'll get we'll get to them. It's just Redmond's name came up first. But yeah, he's obviously been playing well. Um, otherwise, we went 1-0 down. They cut us open as they'd had threatened to do throughout the first kind of 20 minutes or so. Any um, criticism on that goal or, or who, who would you lay the blame at for that goal? Obviously, Forster came out. I don't think you can really blame him. He wiped out the defender. It was, it was sorry, the attacker. There was no doubt that it was going to be a penalty. Um but they just they just carved us open so easily, and it ultimately was forced as kick out that caused that, wasn't it? Putting us under a little bit of pressure. That's what it stemmed from. I think everyone knows Forster's limitations with the ball at his feet, and he's tried to pick pick a player out on the halfway line. He's obviously not put full strength behind the kick, and he's tried to pick someone out, and it's backfired, and then West Brom have won the ball. And from there, you've got to say fair play because it was a great little interchange to to Maitland Niles. They they opened up Chelsea last week with some brilliant football that you don't really associate with Sam Allardyce. Um, not sure who's running the training sessions. Maybe it's Sammy Lee, um, but it was it was a great bit of football. Maitland Niles, who could have been a Saints player, by the way, yeah, could have been a Saints player. But he, he picked out. Um, Pereira in the box and I agree with you a lot of people were slating Forster for that one but at the end of the day you've got to come out and close the anger and throw your body at it and if he doesn't do that then he's just going to slot it so it's a shame that he took him out obviously but I think it was it, the, the big mistake was the kick out and trying to pick someone out there so yeah. poor from him I mean that first half you said earlier on that we didn't really fret and we did have some opportunities the game was pretty wide open um, I know I can, can recall Danny Ings having an opportunity um, Stuart Armstrong forced a good save from from the West Brom keeper Sam Johnston who had a very very good game obviously saving Ward Prowse's penalty at the end um, he had an excellent game we did create in that first half it was just I was never comfortable it always looked a matter of time before West Brom scored and when they did they scored again in quick succession I think two in three minutes um, with was it Matt Phillips scoring the yeah. second goal but again piss poor defending well, I mean, we need to talk about Danny Ings here. What is he doing? Oh, yes. Trying to, yes. Trying to play that back to the centre half at that position. I mean, it's not a bad idea, but maybe go to the keeper. You've got to hit that back to the keeper. There's no chance you can pick out the centre back there. I don't know what he's expecting there not to be a West Brom player in the way. Piss poor from him. And you could tell as soon as the goal went in, he had his head in his hands. He knew that he'd yeah. he'd messed up for the team. But um, 
I think that the West Brom striker did really, really well to pick out the uh, the Matt Phillips at the back post because I was watching it again. I don't think Yannick Vestergaard did that much wrong. He was he was trying to mark him. He's obviously got a kind of go in between the ball and and stay with Matt Phillips and he was tracking him, but it was just a brilliant ball at the back post. But it was Danny Ings really that, that made that mistake for that second goal. It was. Um, and as much as we had a couple of opportunities, they were good value for a 2-0 lead. They had 13 shots in that first half, which I think just underlines how terrible we were at the back and just how many opportunities they were creating in 45 minutes. I mean, this is a West Brom team that have struggled to score goals all season up until up until last week when they stuck five past Chelsea. And obviously, Big Sam has done something. He's changed something. Um, and now they're creating opportunities. But to, to concede 13 shots in the first half, I think just speaks to how desperate we were defensively in those first 45 minutes. Now, lots has been made over the fact that Ralph didn't make a change until what? just about 75 minutes on the clock. He's defended that in his post-match presser by saying that our best period of the game came after halftime. And in that, he's right. We did have a lot of the ball and we did look like we may get back into the game for that 20 minutes or so after halftime. But I'm not really buying that. There's, you can still make those changes. As you said, you listed all the options that we've we finally got players fit. Surely Gineppo, surely Minamino, mm. surely somebody could have come on a little bit earlier while we were on top. I'm not buying that at all. I mean, we've watched a ridiculous amount of football in our in our lives. How many times do teams go two goals up and then naturally the game flows back to the opposition that are trying to make back that lead? And obviously Southampton are going to have more of the ball in that second half. It's just the way sport sport happens. The, the team with the lead are going to naturally sit back and try and defend it. For me, that was the perfect time to think, okay, West Brom are going to sit back now. It's going to be a little bit more structured to our play and we can try and play it left to right and pick out the spaces. Let's put Musa Gineppo on, who, when he did come on, when he did get the 10 or 15 minutes that he did get, ran straight at the fullback and won a penalty and caused problems. And I was thinking to myself, why was he not on at half-time or the 50th minute or the 55th minute and give him a bit more time to do that? It was infuriating just seeing, you know, I know that we had more of the ball and we looked better, but it's just, I don't buy that at all. I think the changes had to be earlier and it, I'm just, every Saints fan that you see on Twitter was saying exactly the same thing. It's not rocket science. You just, changes need to be made to impact impact the game. We don't seem to have those players coming off the bench doing that. And I think that is largely due to the fact that they're not given the time on the mm. pitch. I think it's definitely a contributing factor for sure. Um, they then go and make it 3-0. Um, again, it's a run of play, obviously, but on the in that period against the run of play. But as you mentioned at the start, 3-0 was a fair result. I did want to speak about Jan Bednarak on his birthday. Jan Bednarok, as we tweeted out before the game. Not his, best, not his best performance. And for that third goal, he was pulled way out of position. And the ball just went in behind. That's where Vestergaard looks like he's pulling a cart behind him and Robinson just mm. nips away from him and sticks it away. Good finish. But I mean, it kind of summed up for me, that goal kind of summed up the the real tough afternoon or evening that the whole team had from Ward Prowse and Diallo getting bullied out of second balls in midfield from West Brom overrunning us in that central area with Maitland Niles. Um, and then going through just a one ball down the middle, completely taking Bednarak and Yannick Vestergaard out of play. It was just so... I want to say uncharacteristically poor from that middle spine of the team, but we have we have seen that this season on occasion. 
seems to seems to be that we play against some teams that overrun us and it just happens and in in those kind of games we don't have a plan b to go we've got Maitland Niles Yokoslu and Pereira against our two centre midfielders and we couldn't get near them and that's the point in the game where you need to think let's try and shift another body more central and let's try and get a bit more control in that middle of the pitch but we don't we don't seem to do that and the game was going that way from the first five minutes you could see that was happening and I think like you said the third goal just summed up the whole game it was just Diallo and Ward Prowse as a partnership they've had some really good games in a Southampton shirt this season but that was one of their worst they didn't seem to get on the ball at all and there was no cohesion between the two of them and like you said Jan Bednarak again I hate to be that person that's very you know flippant off the back of poor performances but I do think he's had a string of poor performances now and I don't think he's in his best runner form in the Saints shirt we signed Mohamed Salisu who's been playing a little bit out of position sometimes at fullback and as part of a back three, which I don't think massively suits him. I'm not saying chuck him in on Sunday against Wembley, but I thought tonight would have been a brilliant opportunity to play Salisu. Against Leicester, I'd, I'd quite fancy our chances maybe against, playing against Wembley, but playing against Leicester, yeah. <laughs> sorry, sorry, yeah, of course. <laughs> it's late, mate. It's late. We it do these late. we do these podcasts very late, don't we? For the love of the game. Um, but yeah, against Leicester at Wembley. Um, but I just think maybe maybe Mohamed Salisu would have been a great opportunity to put him in tonight mm-hmm. and see what the partnership's like with him and Vestergaard. If there's something there, you can maybe play that on Sunday. If not, you bring Bednarak back in. I just think the confidence is shot to pieces at the back. And also Ryan Birchin. I mean, again, he's one that's the, the talk about new contracts coming in um, on the last year of his deal. We need to sign a new left-back. That is priority number one this summer is a new starting left-back. We've been linked to Rico Henry at Brentford. I think he has to be the target and I think he fits within that £10 million bracket that you mentioned. Probably could get him for that price because, again, he's not the problem. He's not the problem, but I just don't think he offers enough on that left-hand side. And if if you're not going to offer that much offensively, you have to be very, very solid defensively. And he doesn't have that to his game either. So I think he's, um, yeah, we need a new left-back, essentially, Pat. To go back to um, to that stat, West Brom, 13 shots in the first half. The last time they had more shots than that in a first half, 2012. Nearly a decade since West Brom have had that many shots in the first half. Um, if that doesn't sum it, sum it up, I don't know what does. <laughs> um, but yeah, so three wins from us in 2021. This year has got off to an absolutely horrific start. But we do have this semi-final on the horizon on Sunday. Neither team coming into it in great form. Obviously, Leicester clinging on to that Champions League place now after losing to to West Ham at the weekend and then had that story break where a few of their key players, including James Madison, um, attending a house party, uh, breaking COVID protocols and missing that important game against West Ham. They're like, I think they're set to be back to face us. But yep. this was such a massive opportunity for us to build a little bit of confidence off the back of that Burnley game going into that semi-final. And now it feels like we've set ourselves back two or three paces when we should have been looking forward. One mm. thing I would say is back in March when we were right in the middle of that awful, awful run, we were on this podcast talking about a crucial run of fixtures against Brighton, against Burnley, against West Brom and against Palace. Now that game has subsequently been shifted, I think, due to uh, the FA Cup and TV. But 
we've just come through three of those games with three points. And in that game that we came away with three points, we were 2-0 down to Burnley. We could have easily mm-hmm. been swept aside in all three matches against Brighton, Burnley and West Brom. And we we gave the players credit last week for battling back against Burnley. But still, there is something fundamentally wrong, I think, with your team if you're going down 2-0 to Burnley at home, defensively, certainly. And the ease with which Vidra, that long punt was the most classic Burnley goal you're going to see. But it was still soft, soft defending. And nothing changed again today. Well, sorry, on Monday. Nothing changed. It was soft defending right across the board for all three goals. Kalecci Inacho is going to have an absolute field day. He's scoring goal after goal, game after game. He's going to have a field day against us on, on Sunday unless Ralph makes serious changes. But I don't really know what he's going to do. I think it's going to be the same team pretty much. I think this game on Sunday is actually massive for Ralph in general. Yeah. Because... I mean, we've done brilliantly to get to this semi-final. We've had a tough run beating Premier League teams and Wolves and and Arsenal. Um, but I think he, I think we have to win for this to be considered like a decent season. Otherwise, it is a failure of a season in my eyes. If we if we come, I mean, that might be that might be a bit harsh saying that, but I just think two wins, think the, last, two wins in the last fourteen games, and that is Sheffield United and Burnley. Like you said, Sheffield United, absolutely shocking team. And Burnley, we were 2-0 down and spun it. So it easily could be one win in the last 14. That is horrendous, horrendous form. And that's not just a little bit of bad form. That is there's something wrong with the team that the, the players aren't buying into the philosophy or the players aren't understanding the tactics. Or so there's something completely wrong there because you can go three or four games without a win, but hopefully turn it round. I think this game on Sunday is huge. Like you said, Leicester aren't going in with the best of form, but just so disappointing to play this game tonight. I always expected West Brom to, you know, be so up for it. And I don't want to say that I expected to lose, but I thought it could have been a game where we might have lost 2-1 or we might have lost 3-2 or something like that. And we showed a bit of fight and we actually scored a few good goals and we can go, oh yeah, we did lose a bit of a shame, but, Danningson, Stuart Armstrong looked quality or Redmond's continuing his great form, but there was actually nothing encouraging coming out of the performance to them good. So then looking ahead to Wembley, what changes would you make from, from the 11 that started against West Brom uh, to face Leicester? Well, I would say the, the key change has to be Shea Adams coming in to start. I think that's a no-brainer for me. Personally, I would, I'd put him in for, for Theo Walcott. I'd play Shea Adams and, and Danny Ings up front and then I'd play... Redmond and Stuart Armstrong because Shea Adams came on tonight and had a bit between his teeth. He showed a bit of a bit of fight that was lacking in the game. But the key thing for me with Shea Adams is that he occupies the defenders. And a Leicester team that played three centre-backs usually with Fofana, um, Johnny Evans and Amati, I think it will be on Sunday. I think Danny Ings will just have absolutely nothing to play with. I think he'll just be, it'll be a very difficult game for him. And I think Shea Adams is needed to kind of put a bit of physicality on those Leicester centre-halves and free up Danny Ings to get the ball in and around the edge of the box where he's the most dangerous. So, yeah, I don't know about you, but Shea Adams has to start for me. I don't want to see Theo Walcott play up front on Sunday. I think realistically, that's the only area of the pitch that we're going to see any changes. We mentioned Salah, so we don't think he's going to throw him into a semi-final, but... We do have options in those forward areas. And yeah, the only thing I would say is potentially um, going with two kind of strikers up front against Leicester. Will he want to do that? Will he want to go with kind mm. of two um, 
two goal scorers or will he want Redmond up there just to drop in and be an extra body in midfield? I'm not saying that Shea can't do that, um, but I think Ralph has spoken before about how much he likes Redmond pressing when he does play up front. And obviously we didn't see that really at all um, on Monday. But I think in his mind, maybe that will be a decision that's made. At the same time, I, I buy into what you're saying about needing to occupy the Leicester defenders because otherwise it could be a very long afternoon of Leicester possession, Leicester chances, and then Danny Ings not really having a sniff on the counter-attack. So, um, it's, it's such a shame that we're sitting here talking about this FA Cup semi-final with, you know, with a in a negative view and thinking about like that, a bit of damage limitation. It's such a shame that we didn't go out tonight and have some positives in our performance that we can yeah. look ahead to Sunday and think we could get at Leicester. Because at the end of the day, they're not playing well and they do have their vulnerabilities that we can exploit. Yeah. So yeah, just shocking yeah. performance tonight. But we, I think we just need to be positive going into Sunday. This The FA Cup, you know, we've been performing awfully in the league this season, but somehow seems to be putting in some decent performance in the FA Cup and let's hope that that magic continues. Yeah, and, and just to go back to what you said a few minutes ago, I don't think it's too much or too big of a statement to say the season is uh, a big disappointment if we don't make the final because we're what? We're, we've got eight games of the season remaining now. Is it eight games? Yeah. Uh, no, sorry, seven games. Seven. seven. Seven left. We're on 36 points. We finished last season on 52. Now, I'd say we're a long way short of getting anywhere close to that amount of points this season. So we're going to have a worse season in the league. If we can get to a, a cup final, then sure, that goes somewhere to mitigating that league performance. But if we if we lose on Sunday, and I don't want to be too negative, but if we did lose convincingly, the calls for Ralph to go, and I don't think he would go until maybe the end of the season, if he did, would get would get louder and louder, um, mm. I think. So I, I don't really want to think about it too much, but if we lost three or four nil to Leicester at the weekend um, off the back of this West Brom game and relegation doesn't really look like a, a concern for us anymore after the Burnley game, 10 points clear of Fulham with seven games left. But it, was, it will have been a real poor, poor season, I think. And there'll be there should be questions being asked right across the team, I think, at the end of the year from... From the ownership, questions over the ownership, questions over the management and that board level and with the manager and the players. I think the whole team just looks really stale at the moment um, and changes changes need to be made somewhere and it's hard to change the players. It's easy to change the manager. We obviously need to change the owner, um, but something has to, something has to be shaken up, but mm. let's not, let's not dwell too much on that. We've got a cup semi-final on Sunday positive going into that try and be anyway and we'll be catching up after that game with our podcast going out the following Monday did you have anything else you wanted to add before we go no no I just think we just need to end on a positive note it was an awful night tonight but at the end of the day it's an FA Cup semi-final on Sunday they don't come around too often um, we've had a brilliant run in the cup and again playing against the Leicester team that like you said they do have their vulnerabilities I think we can be a little bit confident that we can exploit them so fingers mm-hmm. crossed we, let's, uh, let's end on a positive and we'll yeah. the positive can be that you were on Twitter tonight and you had a nice little tweet go out about would I lie to you <laughs> didn't you we're big fans of Bob Mortimer on the show here so you had a nice little tweet um, would I lie to you inspired that they've got some good engagement so we'll, we'll end on that as a positive and anyone that doesn't follow us on social media check us out on Twitter occasionally Jack will be doing it and the standard of social media typically 
goes down slightly, but tonight he did he did a good job. So we're proud of him at the, on the podcast. Um, and we'd also say he's been contributing to our newsletter as well. And you'll 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 know the bits that he's written. Um, <laughs> but if you could give that a, could give that a subscribe, we'll be dropping the link. It's on our Twitter page, but we'll also be tweeting it out. Um, it usually comes out on a Wednesday or Thursday. That's fair to say, Jack. That is fair to say. Just any any tweets that um, have more than 10 retweets are usually from me and anything <laughs> with the two or three likes usually come from yourself. But um, definitely definitely get on the newsletter, everyone listening, because we put out a lot of good content in there, don't we? We do. We do. We try and we put a bit of effort into it. So uh, if you could subscribe to that, I think we're at 63 subscribers currently. Um, there's some good Saint stuff in there. Check it out. It's a link on our Twitter page and you'll see it tweeted out. Um, over the course of the week as well. Just drop your email in there and subscribe. But thank you everybody for listening. Jack, thank you for joining me and let's speak next week. Nice one, Pat. Speak to you when we're in the FA Cup final.